Welcome to the MBSM Parenting Podcast, a podcast all about parenting, teens, and personal growth. The goal? To encourage and equip parents as they navigate through the teenage years. And now your hosts, Marcus Eves and Kyle Riley. Everyone, welcome to the very first episode of our podcast called MBSM Parenting Tips. I am your host, Marcus Eves, joined with our co-host, Kyle Riley. And we hope this podcast helps encourage and equip parents as they navigate through their kids' teenage years. And we are excited to have our very first guest, Justin Arnold, here with us. And he serves as the Director of Counseling at Heartlight Ministries. And this is a residential counseling ministry here in East Texas that we partner with. So Justin, thanks for being here. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Look forward to hopefully providing some sense of hope and help to your parents in this difficult time. We're excited that you're joining us today for our podcast, Justin. Um, today's topic is going to be about how to have healthy communication with your teen. Um, I believe this topic could not come at a better time than this. Uh, we are surrounded by a, a virus that is causing a lot of families' lives to be disrupted. That means we are uh, quarantined and we are spending a lot more time with our children than before. And so this is a uh, perfect opportunity, despite the circumstances, for a lot of families to go ahead and begin practicing uh, how to have healthy communication with their child. And so we know that communication is absolutely critical and a parent and child relationship. So Justin, we'd like for you to just speak first is what is communication or why is communication important between a parent and their teen? Here's the deal. Realistically, a parent is the most important relationship your child will ever have. Being a parent becomes the most influential relationship a kid will ever have. Um, so communication with that person becomes extremely beneficial, um, and not just beneficial, it's paramount for healthy functioning of your kids. And I don't, I don't say that this relationship is um, most important to supersede that of a relationship with Christ, but what research would show is most kids come to know Christ through their parents. And, and without having that influential parent-child relationship, a lot of these kids may not ever trust that relationship with Jesus. The reality of it is, is our kids need wisdom. Our culture is pushing them and shoving them in directions that, that we would never want to be a part of ourselves. We would never want to grow up in this culture with all of the information just flowing in and flowing in and overwhelming our kids. And really what they need is not more information from their parents. They need wisdom. They need perspective changes. They need to have somebody coming alongside of them to see the bigger picture. Yeah, that's good. I Communication is happening. Students are getting so much information uh, from all around them, from social media, from their friends, from television, from all these different outlets. And uh, I, I heard it described once as uh, like the, a child's heart and mind is like a vacuum where they're they're getting all this information. And so as a parent, uh, it's just very important that we are the ones primarily at the end of that funnel helping guide and filter in what's coming in to their hearts and minds. Man, that's great stuff. Um, so, Justin, I think this begs a question um, that we're all thinking now. What does 
healthy communication look like between a parent and their child? So whenever I think about healthy communication with parents and their kids, I think of at least four things and and four things that become primarily important. Um, One would be prayer. Um, That becomes essential. And for some reason, we forget it. Um, Sometimes I think we, 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 believe that prayer is something we have to do out loud or with a bowed head or with closed eyes. But realistically, walking into our kid's room, we can silently be praying, God, give me the right answers. Give me the right attitude. Give me the right um, whatever I need in that situation to come alongside them. Secondly, we need to create an environment that our kids want to be in so that conversation can happen. They're not just tuning us out. Um, The third thing, we've got to ask good questions. We've got to be thinking about the things that we're asking. Are we shutting our kids down or are we really encouraging them to be open because they feel safe and secure? And then thirdly, we need to respond well when given the opportunity. So let me just take a second and kind of divulge these things a little bit more. In prayer, the first one, let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with you in the conversation. Before I ever enter counseling, whenever I'm going to walk to the, the waiting room to pick up a kid, I'm praying, God, please give me the opportunity to be a light for this child. I would encourage you parents to be praying before a conversation. How do I be a light for my kid? The reality of it is, is you need the Holy Spirit's direction and wisdom if you're going to truly pass on eternal wisdom. So that would be first. Let's begin asking God to provide us an eternal wisdom that may change the heart of the person that I'm talking to, that being specifically your child. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, a lot of times we like to rush into conversations. Mm -hmm. I've heard a a pastor once say, we oftentimes go to man about God before we go to God about man. So I think starting Mm -hmm. and just praying and, and bathing the Holy Spirit to invade all those conversations is is really a great and important first step as we begin the idea of what does healthy communication look like with our teen. Sure. I know uh, recently something that's changed my family dynamic is uh, as I get home from work, uh, one of the things I've been doing is praying in the garage uh, before I step into the house and spend time with my children and my wife. And I know that's really changed just our conversations and the health of our communication as well. That's good. Right. And and I think that that becomes, although as Christians, we, we know the answer that we need to be praying it's oftentimes the first thing we forget. We move into autopilot and just take control. Um, Like Marcus said, we just rush into the conversation because we know what to do. But we often forget to invite the very power that raised Jesus from the grave to be part of that conversation with us. Here's the second thing. The second thing that we got to really focus on is creating the right environment. Environment's key. If all of your conversations where you are getting on to your kid or you're challenging them or you're telling them what they didn't do right again happen in the kitchen, the kitchen's probably not the right place to have this conversation. If it's in the dining room, maybe the dining room. If it's in your bed, wherever that conversation generally takes place, we got to change it up. We got to realize that when we have a time to sit down and have a conversation with our kid that we want to be meaningful, we've got to create an environment for that. It may be saying, hey, let's go run to Starbucks. And your kid may talk better being shoulder to shoulder with you in the car than face to face sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. 
it may be that your kid won't talk to you. They just want to listen to the radio in the car. So what you do is you go pull over while you have your Starbucks and you have a conversation where you can look at them. But whatever the case is, you figure out what kind of environment can I put my kid in to almost put them at ease so that we can just talk and communicate rather than put them with their defenses up already ready to defend themselves. Yeah, I, I love that. The the environment can is just can be very important in how that conversation goes. The conversation looks probably a little bit different. Um, so let's say that a parent asks their child to sit in the living room and then they want to have a talk. Well, then the defenses and the walls start rising up. But sure. if you say, hey, let's go to the, the store, let's go to Andy's and get a some frozen yogurt, then the defenses mm-hmm. are down and it's opening for more conversation. I think a lot of conversa- conversation, I think a lot of healthy conversation just happens in normal day-to-day activities. Mm-hmm. Well, look at Jesus. He had an as-you-go ministry. And he taught as he went. He cared for as he went. He shared wisdom as he went. And and I think that's really what we're talking about. How do we begin to create this as you go? Guess what? Your kids probably don't want to just hang out with you all the time. Sadly enough. But realistically, that's the natural development that God has created kids for, is to begin separating from mom and dad. So they're finding all their desires being met with peers, not you. And so you're going to have to create an environment that your kid wants to be a part of. That may include sitting down and playing a video game with them. And you may hate video games. I would tell you, get over it. Because time with your kids is more important than doing what you really want to do. It may be playing catch in the front yard. It may be learning a new game like disc golf or or whatever the scenario may be where you can invite your kid. And you know what? When we get out of this, you know, shelter in place, whenever we get out of this pandemic type lifestyle, invite their friends to come along. Allow their friends to be a part because that, that's who they want to be with. And I think that there comes a point that our attitude in that is we're not going to play video games. We're not going to play baseball or whatever trying to be perfect or make sure they behave a certain way, we're going in there creating an opportunity for relationship. So whenever I go sit in one of the houses with some of the guys, um, the teenagers at Heartlight, I don't know how to play a lot of the games that they play, but I talk the most trash. Hmm. And it gives them the opportunity to come back at me with it. And all of a sudden, I'm somebody that they see as normal. And now we get to have a conversation after video games, because they see me as somebody that is normal and not weird and that doesn't get it. Um, They see me as somebody whenever we're throwing the baseball that I'm not correcting everything. We're just hanging out. So now we have an opportunity to really talk afterwards. That reminds me a lot. uh, Growing up, um, my dad would take me to play golf with him and it wasn't a forced conversation. It was just, we would hang out together and looking back on, you know, my childhood, those are some of my uh, favorite memories, but also I think moments where I had the best communication with my dad. It wasn't a forced communication. It was just time spent together, uh, trash talking each other, making each other mess up, uh, playing golf, uh, getting a little competitive. But uh, afterwards, I felt closer than ever before to my dad. And we just had amazing conversations during that time. You know, too often our conversations are only with our kids are only based on serious topics. And that's unfortunate because then your kids condition conversation with you to not be something they want to engage in. It's they're in trouble or they've got to do better or X, Y, and Z. 
It's not just, I just care about you and want to have a relationship. And so our kids see that, that first time of being invited to communicate, to talk, as something that's generally negative. We're going to have to overcome that stigma by doing something different. We're going to have to figure out how to laugh and never forget to encourage. The third thing that I would say that we really need to focus on is asking good questions. Many of the conversations I hear between parents and their kids are one-sided. Most of the parents I work with are already making up their minds about what their kids need to say before they ever begin the conversation. They're confronting. They're asking questions they already know the answers to. And they're trying to lead their kids to that answer. My suggestion would be a better way to enter a conversation is to lay all preconceived notions to the side and have what I call a non-judgmental conversation. This is a conversation where the parent is not asking leading questions to help their kid figure out something or get to the truth the parent believes and wants the kid to get to. These conversations generally lead to an argument or worse. It becomes a disdain for the kids to even want to communicate with mom and dad. So a non-judgmental conversation consists of the parent only asking questions to better understand their child's story. The parent uses their skills of empathy to truly see life from their kid's perspective. It's making statements or asking questions like, you know, I'm interested to know more about blank. I'm, I really like the way you're thinking about this. This is pretty cool. Tell me more about that. Help me understand how that works. What else happened? How did that make you feel? What do your friends think? What else is going on? There are questions that are asking more to understand their perspective so that I can walk all the way around this topic from their perspective, not simply my own. I would encourage just making encouraging noises at times. Simple words encourage your kids to continue, like just saying, hmm, wow, oh, interesting, cool, that's awesome. Those simple, minimal encouragers help your kids know, hey, I'm going in the right direction. I'm not being judged right now. I, what's being said seems good to them. Oftentimes, I even take a one-step-down approach. Um, being, you know, close to 20 years older than most of the kids I work with, I will look at them and just say, hey, you know, I'm an old guy. I don't get this stuff very well. You know, we didn't do it this way in my, my day. We didn't have, you know, all of our conversation was, you know, based on three-letter abbreviations. We didn't do that. I don't get it. Help me understand. You know, or or simply just being able to say, I don't understand how people do these things anymore. Help me understand what's cool. You know, it seems like every time I see kids together, all they're doing is taking pictures of themselves and kind of laughing and showing the screen to somebody, but I hear very little dialogue. I don't get it. Help me understand. And, and as you put yourself down a step where you're not this raging authority, what it does is gives your kids the freedom to be able to say, well, yeah, because that's how everyone connects now or whatever. What would you say to a parent that primarily communicates uh, uh, questions or uh, deeper conversations with their student or their child through uh, texting instead of in person? You know I think we need to use that medium. I think we need to use that medium often um, because that's how our kids communicate. I also think, though, that we need to do it differently than maybe we do it now. I think a lot of times we text only for information instead of just encouragement. Or, um, you know, one thing I, I train my counselors on is 
if this is a conversation where we need to share something important, it probably needs to happen through your voice because a lot gets lost in translation in a text message. But if all I'm doing is just checking in on you, telling you I love you, I'm encouraged, encouraging you, whatever, fling it out through a text. I think our kids appreciate that and don't feel so overly controlled. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's part of our kids' worlds mm-hmm. is Absolutely. texting. And um, and I think it goes back to leading or the motive behind that conversation. If it's a leading question, you know, kids can pick up on that. Kids can sniff out uh, unauthenticity or what? how does he, how do you say it? Inauthenticity. Kids can sniff out whether or not you're being authentic or not and, and where your heart is. So I think having the right heart and motive behind the conversation is important rather than just leading in to whatever you want to find rather than just generally want to have a conversation and getting to know what's happening in your student's world. Right. And, and realistically, what we're talking about is learning to communicate with your kid is learning to have ongoing conversations. It's learning to know them. I think a lot of parents believe they know how their kid thinks already. And a lot of them do know the conclusions their kid will come to, but rarely do they know the process through which the kid's going. They don't know all the hurts. They don't know all the stresses. They don't know all the difficulties that this kid may be facing. I mean, for instance, I think the school day can be one of the most stressful experiences for a kid where we have to sit, be quiet, focus, then whenever we're out of class, we've got to be enough so that we're liked by all our peers. And how do we navigate that when we feel like we don't? And then comes 3.30, whatever, and they come home. And what's the first question they get? Do you need a break? How you doing? No. It's, hey, why isn't your room clean? Have you done your homework? Do you need to study for anything? What projects do you have? And it's this bombardment of things to do, which just further stresses them out. And I think that there's a reality because I don't really know what's going on in my kid's world or how they're feeling with it. I generally respond just to get things done rather than to, you know, do like Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. How do we emulate that as parents, knowing that our kids are stressed to the max through what this culture's throwing at them, through what our educational system's throwing at them. Okay, take what the corona pandemic is throwing at your family. Everybody's stressed because everybody's world's been turned upside down. You know, if you're a, a full-time working dad that has to be home all the time, where's your outlet? When do you get away? That can be exhausting. When you're a mom who's who stays at home and you're used to being able to send your kids to school And now all of a sudden you have no alone time, no quiet time, no time to run errands. It's exhausting. You're learning new strides that wear you out. The same is true for your kids. They're used to having a lot of their relational needs met at school or at church or at whatever their activities are, sports, whatever. And now we're saying the only way you're going to connect with your friends is on your phone. But I hate your phone because that's a, a, you know, the devil or, or whatever, But think of the stress that it causes. They have no outlet. And so if we don't understand and begin to communicate so we can know our kid, we're going to stress them out even further and become a lack of influence rather than the most um, important influencer in their life. 
What would you say to a parent that is beginning this process? Um, they have created a little bit of distance through bad questions or bad timing of questions. Um, what would you say to encourage that parent that uh, is looking to start and really begin to create a healthy communication and healthy questions for their child? We've got to respond well. And I think whenever we start thinking about this fourth point of how do we respond in conversations, we've got to know, we've got to respond well. One of the things that I almost always tell parents is, um, if you're not a gambler, maybe you don't get the reference, but you've got to have a poker face. You've got to have a face that says, no matter what, I'm unchangeable. I can hear you, even if you're talking nonsense, right? I think at times... What ends up happening is we hear our kids say something and we want to immediately jump on it and say, no, 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 that's wrong. That's the Bible doesn't teach that. Or, you know, that's not what our family believes. And I think what it causes us to do is instead of responding well, that says, hey, I'm open. You can talk to me. You can sort this stuff out with somebody safe like me. Our kids immediately jump to my parents don't get it. So responding well becomes hugely important. Here's the fourth thing that we need to make sure that we're aware of in this. How we respond is supremely important. If we are responding in a way that drives our kids away from us or causes them to shut down and say, I do not want to hear you anymore, guess what? They're not listening, and your influence will be muted in their life. But remember from the beginning, you are the most important relationship and influencer in their life, so we have to respond well. Develop a poker face where you can hear anything. I even counsel parents at times to hold it together as long as you can. If you need to take a break, take a break. Go cry in your closet. Whatever you need to do, but let your kids see you as somebody that's stable. Let them see you as somebody that can hear your conversation and not be shocked by it. Because I guarantee you, what they share with you is only part of the story. And if you're shocked by this, They know what they can't tell you because you cannot handle it. So how do we respond? We can't keep giving them more information. The world gives them enough. And guess what? Most of your information may not even be right. They can just ask Siri and find that information out. They don't need your help for that anymore. They've got a computer in their pocket. So what do you do? How do you begin to be somebody different? Number one thing of how to respond is be empathetic. The only way you will understand the stress, the frustrations, the feelings of not good enough, and where and why they may be mistakenly finding their value in things created in our creation rather than from the Creator is by you finding a non judgmental stance to enter your kid's world and see life from their perspective. You have to be more interested in listening to them, hearing your child's heart rather than just sharing your own. The second thing is we've got to help shift perspective. After you've entered in, after you've empathized, after you've begun to to see life from your kid's perspective, and, and recognize this, never before can you do this. It's only after you understand your kid's perspective, after you understand, then and only then can you truly offer your kid a way of shifting their perspective to see more healthier options. Because here's the reality. If all you're doing is sharing perspective from you, in your life, but you don't know what they're going through, most often they're going to write it off as mom doesn't get it. Dad's clueless. We have to understand their world first. We have to share wisdom, not just more info. 
what does that look like? What's the difference between sharing wisdom instead of just more information to your child? Right. So like an example would be um, sharing information is um, you don't need to do that. That's wrong. Sharing wisdom would say, hey, let me talk to you about why I'm concerned about this. I think you see it as a way of connecting with friends. I think you see it as a way of doing this. But what I'm looking towards is like 10 years from now, is this something that you're going to want to talk to your future spouse about? Is this something that you are going to want to talk to your future employer about? Is this leading you down a path that's going to help you be the person you want to be next year? That's sharing wisdom because we're moving from just emotional thinking to beginning to shift perspective to something more important and long-term. Mm. And so we're looking at the big picture there. That's right. The third thing is encouragement. Encouragement's lost in our society. The way we encourage people is saying things like, you know what, I just want to encourage you. That's not encouraging. We've got to find ways to encourage our kids because the world is eating them up. Um, I don't think there's a more prevalent verse for this than Hebrews 3.13. It says we need to encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that our hearts won't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Think of the barrage of information your kids are receiving. Is it true? No. It's not true, but they're beginning to buy into things. And so what does our role look like? It's that of encourager. How do I encourage them to seek the truth? How do I encourage them in what's accurate so that the world doesn't cause their heart to harden, meaning just get so used to something that they don't care anymore? That becomes supreme. It becomes very important. We've got to find ways to encourage kids' characters. And if all we're doing is encouraging our kids because, oh, you look so cute today, or, um, man, you did great at the game today, all we're doing is encouraging things our world says are important, mm -hmm. that it's all material. It's all about how I compare to the next person. Man, you were the best one on your team. What are we doing? We're helping them walk right into worldliness that we're hopefully trying to share wisdom against. So what can we do? How do we encourage? One of the easiest ways I look for to encourage people is I just think of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do I begin to identify those character traits, those fruits in my kid? And I look for it every time I'm talking to them. It may be in the middle of a conversation where I say, you know what? I think talking to dad would be really frustrating Thanks for being so patient with me through all these questions. I love that characteristic about you, that you're patient. That speaks life. That is something that helps build them up into, into where they're going. It may be talking to your daughter and saying, you know what? You're being bombarded on your phone by all these boys, and you're not falling for it. The self-control that you have is amazing. I'm so proud of you. That speaks life in their, in their world, and it helps them recognize that I am actually doing something well. And I think that our kids don't get that near enough. Yeah, I think I, I just love that. I love the idea that we, can, that, uh, you know, we get to encourage our, our students. I love that you, you brought up the fruit of the Spirit. I was about my son. You know, he's only three and a half, but when me and my wife— uh, have an argument or our tone isn't right with one another, he'll, you know, at three and a half years old, say, mommy, daddy, you guys need to be nice to each other. <laughs> and like it, 
like it almost immediately subsides or subdues any type of frustration between us. And we're like, you know what, you're right. And so at nighttime, when I'm sitting down with my son, I'm encouraging him saying, thank you so much for being a peacemaker. I love that God instilled that in you and that you are uh, helping mommy and daddy love each other well. It's just, it's just good. Like that's just a good thing to to have in in your mind in your conversation mm-hmm. as you're talking to your teenager. Yeah, you know, I think one of the best things um, that we can do is follow God's example. You know, and one of the examples that we have shared with us is as an example that I found whenever Lauren was pregnant with our firstborn, Andy. Um, I was searching scriptures, just trying to figure out how do I be a dad? I don't know. The dad I had was an alcoholic and he was abusive. I don't want to do that. I don't have a great example of a biological father in my life that is going to, you know, lead me um, well. And I'm really scared of what if I bring some of my junk into this relationship? And so I'm searching scripture, looking at all the father-son moments. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, sacrifice my kid like, you know, Abraham. I don't want to. But I get to the New Testament and I'm thinking, God, the father's got something for me. And I really read the gospels and kind of think, man, this is a little bit lackluster. I only see him actually speak out loud a couple of times and his baptism and at transfiguration. But really in those times, he says virtually the same stuff. Mm-hmm. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And at first, after a couple of days of thinking about it, it was just like, that's not a lot of help. You know, the more I meditated and just molded over in my mind of why is that? Why is that? It became very apparent to me that that statement is exactly what I was dying for my whole teenage life. I was waiting for somebody to say, you're mine. I was waiting for somebody to say, I love you. I was waiting for somebody to say, I'm proud of you. Think about what that would do in your kids' lives if they knew that. Not just through your words only, but we begin to express that. You know, I'm, I'm like Marcus where I have younger kids and I've got, you know, a nine, seven and nine month old or nine years, seven years and nine month old. But this is what I tell them every night. As we're saying prayers, as we're going to sleep, as we're thinking through things, and even during the day whenever things just lull and we get to just have some talks, I want to follow that example. I want them to know that I praise God every day for allowing me to be your dad. I praise God for it. I'm so thankful for that relationship that I get to call you mine. I am so proud to be your dad. Because think about it, whenever God is telling Jesus this at the baptism in front of all these people, Jesus hadn't done miracles yet. No dead people were raised. No deaf people were hearing. No lame were walking. No demons cast into pigs. I mean, none of the cool stuff yet. You know, only the, you know, I'll be in my father's house woman was happening at this point. And the reality of it is, is he wasn't proud of him for what he's done. He's proud of him for whose he is. And our kids need to know that from us, that I'm so thankful God gave you to to me. There is nothing that will make me not be proud of you. I love you no matter what. I wonder if this is a message that parents of teens couldn't adapt, saying, I love you. I'm proud to be your parent. I'm thankful for you. I wonder if they couldn't adapt that in such a way that it becomes something life-giving for their teenager. I believe the kids are desperate for it. 
Justin, thank you so much for sharing. Um, I think this has been really beneficial for uh, our parents, parents, parents of teenagers, really just parents in general, healthy communication. And just to recap, a healthy communication looks like starting off with prayer and inviting the Holy Spirit into that conversation, creating the right environment, asking good questions, and then responding appropriately uh, with empathy, the right perspective, and then looking for ways to encourage. So thank you for being our first guest on the podcast. We're really grateful that you would spend the time sharing with us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing this with friends and be on the lookout for more content in the coming weeks. This is the MBSM Parenting Podcast, where we encourage and equip parents to navigate the teenage years.